Welcome to Indoctrination, a weekly conversation series about protecting yourself from systems of control. I'm your host, Rachel Bernstein. Hey, everyone. Today on the show, we have Sarah Patch. She is a clinical counselor in Columbus, Ohio, who has devoted the past few years of her career to educating herself and others on authoritarian abuse and cult involvement. Sarah cares deeply about raising awareness of the subtle and not-so-subtle signs of controlling behavior so that people can live more authentic and joyful lives. Sarah was both a participant and victim of authoritarian control while in a Christian cult where she spent most of her life. She hopes that by sharing her story, she can help individuals break down their walls of cognitive dissonance and find freedom. You can find more info about Sarah's work at sarahpatchcounseling.com. Here is Sarah now. It is so nice to meet someone new today, to have Sarah Patch on the show with us, who has her own story, although it dovetails with another guest that we had on previously, just to a certain degree. Everyone's story is unique. And it's also really nice to meet someone else in the field, someone else who is a counselor, who uh, can talk about things from that perspective as well. And there are a bunch of things that I want to make sure that we cover. And I took a lot of notes from just reading your bio. So welcome to the show. Spend a few moments just introducing yourself. Yes. Uh, Thank you for having me. I was thinking about telling my story and sharing more of my thoughts about this topic in general in some way, but have struggled to find a place where I feel like I'd feel safe and comfortable doing it. And so listening to Emma, your previous guest, I really liked that episode a lot. And I felt like did a really good job describing my experiences, I know we're talking about Xenos, I guess, dwell now, but they renamed a couple years ago. But yeah, I'm just, I'm excited to have a platform to tell my story in a way that I feel good about. So thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm a counselor as well and um, left Xenos a few years back, right? Like actually right at the beginning of the pandemic. And since leaving, just kind of deep dove into like learning about cults and authoritarianism and I feel like it gave me like the language for the first time to define what my experiences were. It was kind of mind-blowing to see all the parallels. So I feel pretty passionately about talking about this. I could probably talk about it all day and just learning more about it and helping other people learn more about it too. So, you know, when you were saying you could talk about it all day, I could too. And I do. And I never get tired of it. There is something about this subject that is endlessly interesting because there's so many different facets to it and because it describes every one of us to a certain degree, right? Like at different times in our life, what we've been open to, why we are vulnerable, how to keep ourselves safe. And I know that there's something in particular I want to make sure that we cover, which is something you mentioned in your bio about looking for the not so subtle, but also the subtle signs of control or being controlling. Because I really want to make sure people pick up on those very subtle things. So we will make sure to get back to that. You also mentioned that it was Xenos and then Dwell. And a lot of groups changed their name 
when there's an issue, usually, usually signifies that there's been something cooking. And so tell us if you can sort of start us before you, you know, before you can talk about leaving and, you know, becoming a counselor. How did you get involved? What was it like for you from the beginning? So I actually kind of grew up in it in a weird way. I lived like right around the corner from there. They had a school. Well, they have a school that went from preschool through middle school. And from my understanding of my growing up experiences, we just, we didn't live in the best school district. And my parents weren't even really involved in Xenos at the time, but their school had good education. They had some solid education and my parents really wanted us to have a good education. So they sent us to that school. It was really close. We had friends that were there, like our neighbors went there. And so I grew up in Xenos kind of from that and would get involved in the middle school Bible studies and their their summer things. So negative experiences really started to happen in high school though. So the school experiences actually for me weren't too bad. I know some people have had some really bad experiences there, but I was lucky enough to not have that. Um, but I think for a lot of people, high school is when things get a lot more intense. Uh-huh. Okay. So, le- I mean, high school is a time when a lot of things just get intense. You know, life does, hormones do, just stress emerging into yourself as an adult, pushing the boundaries of independence while still not having the brain formed enough to be fully uh, independent with good judgment. But for you, it sounds like Xenos played a part in things getting, or a large part in things getting difficult during your teenage years, high school time. So what was happening there? Yeah. High school was when things got very intense. So in high school, most people start to get hooked up with what they called their discipler. And in your discipleship relationship, it's like a weekly one-on-one thing, usually, where you're studying the Bible or reading some sort of spiritual book. There's a lot of life advice. Looking back, it's almost like a pseudo, pseudo-parent pseudo relationship. Like, I think in high school, you start to kind of drift away from your parents naturally. But then in discipleship, these like older individuals, usually college age or older, will come in and start hanging out with you weekly. And a lot of the time, like simple life decisions, not that you have a ton of life decisions to make when you're in high school, but things like dating or even like whether or not to do extracurricular activities, your discipler would very much be involved in conversations about whether you should do that or not, whether it would be wise. For me, that's some of the subtlety, right? Like, I don't know if that'd be wise kind of like messages that you'd be sent and in Xenos, like if you're in some sort of leadership position, whether that's somebody's disciple or you're a home church leader um, or you're teaching the Bible in some capacity, they really stress like leaders are put there by God. So there's like this internal sense of like, well, if I don't listen to my disciple's advice, then I'm probably going against what God wants for me. And so for me, it came up a lot with dating where I usually wanted to date people that weren't in Xenos. <laughs> I don't know if that was like a subconscious thing or not, but I always gravitated towards those people. Um, and I remember like one time feeling really conflicted, like, I don't know if this would be good. And it was just like a simple, like just a simple date, high school dating relationship. And my discipler at the time, like, 
compared this situation to Abraham and Isaac and Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac and like really pushed like this could be your way of giving something up for God and do you love God more than this and lots and lots of conversations like that that were very impactful and left me feeling very unsure of what decision to make I I never knew oftentimes like really what to do and when I would make a decision I'd be torn up inside about it like was that the right one I don't know am I about to lose it spiritually like I don't know oh that's very stressful I think a lot of it when I look back on it too there was a discipline meeting that we had which like like you mentioned earlier about your brain not even being developed so I was 15 when we had this excommunication for another girl that was in my home church Home churches are like people, like a group of people of like 20 to 40 individuals. And Xenos is made up of a lot of home churches that are under their purview. So at 15, we had this girl in our home church who, she was like a year older than me. And she had like, she had some like very normal sexual experiences with a guy that she was talking to. Very normal stuff but like wasn't completely honest about it with her discipler. There's also that expectation of like, you need to be fully 1000% honest with what is going on with your discipler. And so she got sat before all of us, her peers, um, and like all of the details, all of the explicit sexual details of like what she did with this guy was told to us. And they quoted these random passages about church discipline and called on us to vote her out. And we were all like, these scriptures sound like like it's kind of, it's fitting what they're saying, it feels like. And also church discipline is phrased like really phrased as like this is for the benefit of this person. We want them to like be removed from fellowship so they can experience the world and how horrible it is and come back one day. So this would be doing the loving thing for her. And we're like 10 years away from our brains being developed. Like, I guess we like voter and we're all like raising our hands, voting this girl out. So anyway, like that is burned into my memory. And I think about that a lot. And I, I think back to like, that could be me. That was essentially the, like the message that was in my, the back of my mind a lot. Like, a couple wrong moves and I might be in her chair with my stuff being completely known to my peers. And then my peers having to see them raise their hands and ask me to leave and never talking to me again, unless I really prove myself in some way. Like, I think my like nervous system knew at the time how horrifying that would be for someone. My brain didn't yet when I talk about like all these simple life decisions, it wasn't really a simple life decision. If you're in Xenos, it could be the difference between you being there and not being there. They said that it was always a slippery slope. Sin was like a slippery slope. You're just a couple decisions away from walking away. That's traumatic for anyone involved. And if you're a nice person too, you don't want to cause someone harm. You being roped in as a fellow teenager to ostracize a friend. It's a terrible situation to put people in because then you're the one left feeling guilty or feeling you participated in hurting someone or judging someone in a way that you would never have wanted to be judged. But a lot of times in these moments, you feel like you don't have a choice because things will get really 
bad for you if you don't participate. And then I also wonder what about the person she did these things with? I'm assuming it was with a boy. And was he called on the carpet too, or just her? I think he was kind of coming to meetings, but he wasn't like a member, not like a committed member. And so if you're a committed member, then you're held to an incredibly high standard. But generally women, from my experience and from many other stories, were much quicker to be disciplined and held to very high standards and pretty high critiques as well above the men. They'd get off pretty easily. Mm -hmm. I also wonder with a lot of these meetings, and I hear this happening in Jehovah's Witness and a lot of other places where there is like this tribunal that you have to go before this board of people and it gets very explicit. But I just wonder if they're enjoying it too much. Like, why do they need to know all the details? And why does it have to be said out loud? Oh, yeah. I think part of it, because like public confessions in general were also a thing, whether you'd be like excommunicated or not. I was encouraged a number of times and kind of made to publicly confess um, in front of the girls of my home church with people that I didn't even know that well, because they were like sometimes 20 girls. I wasn't close with all of them, but I was kind of forced to share very private things with them. When I was like 19, I led in a like smaller Bible study in a smaller part of Ohio that was run by Zenos. And I remember having girls doing public confessions because it was what I was taught and what I had gone through. And it was almost like this, like, well, I, I went through that and it worked for me. (laughs) I never did that thing again, (laughs) like, because it was so scary. And so like, like it quote unquote worked. And so maybe this will work for this person who's struggling with this thing and then you're put in, but then it's just so damaging. Like I know that I damaged a number of people doing that. I myself was damaged experiencing that, but like thought it was normal and thought it was mm-hmm. for my benefit. And it was not. And it was not, right. And that's often how they can get people to do things if you're you're told that it's for your benefit or it's for someone else's benefit. And that's going to cause you to participate. So then you were under scrutiny and you then had this experience of seeing what happens if you blow it. And that's going to be really very powerful behavior modification. And so what else happened during that period of time that you remember? So I remember there would be, they called them college connection meetings where they would once a year bring all the juniors and seniors and high school groups to this very large meeting and the like top, some of the top leaders would get up and speak and they would talk. I remember so vividly like them talking about how Xenos is so unique. And like they said, we have done, we have visited churches across the globe and we have not found something like Xenos. We are so unique. We are so high commitment. There are no other churches that are this high commit, highly committed to God. So you technically can go away to college, but what would that say about you if you wanted to leave this really high committed church just to go to college? Or like, why would you ever want to leave this place essentially and strong insinuations that there's some concerning things in your heart if you do want to go away? I remember those very well and feeling very persuaded <laughs> uh, because it was very, I I don't think it's high commitment. I think it's highly involved, but they like to say high commitment. 
But I remember feeling very persuaded. And the more I learned about cults, the more I realized like, oh, cults do that. Cults will be like, you can't find anything like us. Like we're so unique and amazing. And just like giant red flag. Yeah. I'm sure that when you say that, like that, you know, this church says that we were the top of the top, the only, the best. Uh, it's reminding me years ago, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but not for a while. One of the first conferences I went to that was uh, had been a part of the Cult Awareness Network, which is now um, run by Scientology. Long story. So if you're calling the Cult Awareness Network, know that you're talking to a Scientologist. FYI. Yeah. But it, it, before, when I went to these conferences, when it was legit, there were different breakout groups for people who had been in different kinds of cultic groups. And then they had the the like fundamentalist Bible-based cultic groups. And someone had put together uh, these little buttons for people to wear. And they said, my God can beat up your God. And it was sort of to reduce it to down to that level of, we were the best. No, we were the best. No, we have God. No, we have God. That somehow it only exists in these groups that you can be part of this true church. And so this person who put the buttons together is sort of his way of looking at it from that distance of seeing the ridiculousness of it, you know, and like, God, if you believe in God, God is everywhere. It doesn't just exist here. And if God, and if God is the way God is, I'm sure God, the way people believe God, God wouldn't be, uh, saying, you know, oh, that's true. Zenos is the only place that I really, you know, you can really have a relationship with me. <laughs> what? That would have been a ridiculous thing. But it can be a very compelling message and can make people afraid of leaving. Do you feel like that's what was happening in that kind of messaging? Like, don't bother going anywhere else. Oh, for sure. And if you were thinking about going somewhere else, oftentimes you'd get cornered at meetings and you know, have these serious conversations with leaders and they'd be trying to persuade you, like you'd become a target and they would try to continue to persuade you. And there were many times in my life that I wanted to leave Zenos that I like, again, looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't thought about that in so long. But there was like a time I remember I worked at the mall my senior year of high school. And I just remember having like a panic attack at work because I was like, I want to leave so bad. I just want to do my own thing. I want to experience life. Like I want to date who I want to date without worrying about that. And I just remember like panicking because I'm like, I I can't like, it was just not an option. Like there's no way that I can leave this place and feeling really panicked about that. I actually did try to leave once. It was the only time I had ever tried to leave by myself. I was so like, it was my senior year. I was so miserable. And I remember like going to an ex-boyfriend and telling him like, and I remember telling him like, I would leave Xenos just to like be with you. Can we just like do this? And I, I remember him telling me like, I know how important Xenos is to you. Like, I'm not going to get in the middle of that. He, of course, didn't know all the ins and outs of what was happening. But I remember that kind of sealing my fate a little bit like, well, I tried. So then what happened and how did you find your way free of it? Ultimately, it all like blew up. My life kind of blew up. So my husband and I were actually in a home church with one of the men who started Xenos back in the 70s. And 
we were like getting trained under them to be leaders one day. And you're not allowed to be a leader unless you have at least two disciples under you. If you have one, you're not allowed. <laughs> like they very much believe that numbers means God's behind you. So if you're really good at evangelism and bringing people out, then you're probably going to be a leader, um, which is very highly sought after. Like whether people would admit it or not, it's like most people want want that. You're kind of untouchable in some ways once you reach that status, especially the higher you go into leadership. But anyway, so we were like, I think I was 24 and we had finally been able to lead because I was all, I was always holding my husband back. He already, he had had like three disciples for so long and I had only had one for so long. And it was such a thing, not with my husband. He didn't care, but like everyone else was like, how do we get Sarah another disciple? And so we finally had that, those numbers behind us. And they were like, we want to plant a new home church. So we were like up for leadership and they were like, we want to start this group. And we really want you to lead it with these specific people. And I won't get into the details about those people because I love them and I appreciate them. I love them, but leading with them was very hard and it was very complicated. For their privacy and all that, I'm not going to get too much into that, but we, they were like, we want you to do this with these people. And my gut was like, absolutely not. <laughs> I like knew these people before and as much as I love them was just like, that's not going to go well. Like I just knew it in my gut. And I remember asking the man who had like started Zenos back in the seventies, I asked him like, why would this be a good idea? <laughs> Can you tell me why this would work? Cause I just don't think it will. And he was, he essentially was just like, you all have numbers. They have numbers. They have disciples. You have them it's going to work out. And I was always told this message about me that was told throughout my life was that I'm pretty stubborn and rebellious. I would, again, I'd usually try to date people outside of Zenos and want to do my own thing. And it was always a thing. And I'm, I was viewed as this rebellious, stubborn girl. And you're just taught to not trust your gut. Leaders are the ones appointed by God. And until you get there, and even then, like there's people above you still. And I just didn't listen to myself. I didn't listen to my gut. And I was like, I remember thinking he knows better than me. He's been doing this for tens of years. So he probably knows what he's talking about. So we formed this group, formed this home church. It went horribly. There was just so much tension on our, our team. Like our personalities clashed, our leadership styles clashed, our opinions clashed. And I was like in therapy that whole time trying to figure out how do I do the best I can in this situation, but I feel like it, nothing's working. I read books. Like I did everything I could think to try to be like, how do we make this work? Cause all of us are miserable. And after two years of doing that, I mean, I don't want to speak for them, but, and at least I can speak for me and my husband, we were at our breaking point. Like all of us were miserable. That sounds very intense and difficult for a long time. Within the first month, there was very intense clashes. So it did not take long. We'd reached this two-year mark and I was like, is there an end in sight? Like, we're all pretty miserable and we have a home. So home churches have home church coaches. There's so many like levels of leadership. 
So there's home churches, home, home church leaders, and then senior leaders of the home churches. And the senior leaders were above us. And that's who we had a hard time with. And then there's a home church coach who helps us. He was aware that we were having a hard time. I went to him and I was like, do we have any other options? Could you like combine us with other groups? Like, I don't know. Like they do that sometimes. They'll combine and recombine and split and whatever. And I was like, is there an option for us? Because we're nearing the end of our breaking point. And he said, no, there's no end in sight because we weren't growing fast enough to be able to split or something. And he was like, you either have to make this work or you have to end it. You have to call it. And I was like, well, I don't want to have to do that. I like knew in my gut too, like, that's not going to go well if I end this group. That's not going to bode well for us. So we tried like a mediator and in that mediated, we had a few mediation sessions and it just made things worse. It was one of those things where like everything I thought that you were thinking, you're saying to my face and it's really pain, nothing's getting better. And like, we're all just hurting and we're all trying to be adults and we all have, like I was working full time pretty much. And then on top of that, I was in doing Xenos stuff 30 hours a week with between meetings and teachings and discipleships and trainings and retreats. And the so it's 30 hours a week. I averaged it out. Wow. So you really can't do anything else. I mean, that that's your whole life. Pretty much, pretty much. And then anything outside of that, that you do, it's, it's viewed as like an outreach thing. Like, Hey, I'm going to this like volleyball tournament thing. Like I'm going to try to meet people to bring out. Even when you did outside stuff, you had that in the back of your mind, like Xenos, Xenos, Xenos. The mediation was the breaking point. And my husband and I were the ones who were like, we love you guys, but we can't do this anymore. And we just, we need to end this group. We were actually encouraged to think about ending our group by my father-in-law actually is the leader in Xenos and fairly high up. And he actually was like encouraging us to consider it a while back before that. He's called a sphere leader. So you got your home church coaches and then you got your sphere leaders. You got your elders and then you got your senior elders. But we were getting all this like advice from fellow leaders saying like, yeah, it sounds like that might be a good idea. And so we made that decision. And that's when like my husband and I were stamped with our scarlet letters. And that's a whole long story that I can get into, but that was the beginning of the end. There are some moments that are those watershed moments and they're the ones where you, as it's happening, you're thinking, okay, there's no coming back from this. There's going to be no way for us to be able to overlook this, get past it, be okay with it. This is like a one-way ticket. So it sounds like this was one of those moments. So tell us about it. So at first, when we had sent that email, like, okay, we're doing this. The first response was like, thanks for letting us know. We'll be in touch from our home church coach or whatever. And we were like, hey, there's like no pressure because they were trying to hook us up with a new home church. And we were like, there's no pressure. We were told by my father-in-law even like, he was like, I'd be surprised if you guys were like taken down as leaders after this. And we were like, we don't care. Like we don't have to be leaders, but we just need to get out of this. But he was telling us like, I'd be surprising if they didn't let you be leaders after this, you didn't do anything wrong. And so we like, just asked like, Hey, are we allowed to still lead in this, whatever group we end up in? If not, that's okay. Then we got this email back that like, I remember feeling like a train hit me. 
whatever we just did was like a cardinal sin and we are never it was like that we're never coming back from this we were told like we gave up on our group we abandoned people we ruined our group like just thing he was like i've never dealt with a situation like this this is it was like so bizarre to him that this happened and our friends we were told that like only a couple specific people were allowed to go to a home church that we ended up in which was like we didn't need anyone to go with us we were just like expecting that people could go where they wanted to go we were specifically they were like we don't want people going with john and sarah john's my husband um and we're going to make sure no one goes with them and only these very couple specific people that we had been kind of like very 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 long term i discipled this girl for like 10 years but like other than that nobody and we were like i even told this girl that i discipled for 10 years like hey you don't have to stay with me like we've been together for so long like go wherever you want to go like but we were concerned that the elders were like people telling people what they could and couldn't do. And just like, what did we do wrong? Like, I don't know. What do you think we're going to do these people that end up where we end up? And so our, we had very close friends in this group. We had like spent a few years with them and gotten really close to them. And we had heard from some of them that they were being told things like John and Sarah need to be uncomfortable. They can't see their sin if they're comfortable having friends with them would make them too comfortable. We were told we had undiagnosed sin. They were like, we don't know what it is, but it's there. Whatever caused this, like you have undiagnosed sin that you need to figure out and you need to be alone in order to figure that out. Wow. It is gross. And I say that as a fellow clinician, that's just gross. And you just don't do that. You don't kind of keep this sort of sense over someone's head. Like, we don't know what it is, but we can sense it. And right. And then you don't know what you did and you don't, then you, you can't guarantee you won't ever do it again. It's so slippery. Oh, that's a terrible thing. After, after all of your devotion too. You'd be hard pressed to find any like volunteer organization where people are volunteering 30 hours a week to support your organization you would be hard pressed to be treated that way. Like what, who treats someone that way? Just because so we had our scarlet letters. They were like, if anyone, we don't want anyone viewing John and Sarah, even though they won't be in title, we don't want people viewing them as leaders of any kind. And so like, we don't want friends going with them, viewing them. And we kept telling people like, just go wherever you want. Like you don't have, like you literally don't have to go with us, but just go wherever you want. You're an adult. And so we found out that the elders took back, well, technically people can go with John and Sarah. They never told people that they took that back. They just decided it in their elders meeting and then never told anybody. But they followed us around to any group that we tried to go to, to influence those leaders not to let anyone else come. So any group we tried to join, it was like we were blocked. What People were blocked every turn we made. And so... At this point, I was just like reeling, like, I don't know what we did, but we did something apparently really bad. And I'm just trying to feel safe and I don't feel safe anywhere. We wanted to find a home church that like believed in free will, like believed in like people being adults and making their own decisions. 
Right. But it is a novel approach when you think about, you know, especially what you were in, just having that kind of freedom. Also, because the thing that you seem to be given a hard time about is that you're someone who likes to push the walls out to see what you can do, which is actually just, you know, part of our human nature to want to see what we can do and to test ourselves too, to see if we have that freedom, if we're going to use it well, and we're going to be responsible. You only find out if you can do it. And that too, right? Like I might, what if I make an unwise decision? Like who cares? I'll learn from it. So yeah, we actually found a group. They viewed themselves as like, we are this safe place for people because there's so many people who've been so damaged in these ways. I had a very, very high up leader tell me, she said, people come to the adult group in body bags. Like people are just so damaged and confused and discouraged and lonely. And it's just, there's so many people that come that way. And so this group that we'd found wanted to be like a safe place where people can like rebuild their relationship with God and figure out what, what freedom's like. And we were like, we're joining. <laughs> um, we'd love to be with you guys. We trust you guys. The elders folded, got rid of their group immediately. And that I remember turning to my husband when we found out the news because we had a friend in that group who had told us. And he was like, I don't know what's going on because this is crazy. But I remember turning to my husband and be like, I'm done. And my husband was ready to leave months before that. But I was actually the one that was just so scared. Even after experiencing all that, I was like, this is where we've been our whole lives. And I can't imagine life outside of it. We left and then the hits kept coming even after leaving. So when you say the hits kept coming, they just still were at you or harassing you or insulting you or making you feel something for leaving? What was happening? So I worked actually at a counseling group practice at the time. Um, and there were like a few, like a handful of people who were in Xenos that worked there too. And Xenos kind of thought that they had some say in it, even though it's not associated. That group practice was in no way associated, but they tried to contact my boss about my work there. They wanted to like see if I would be meeting with any members of Xenos as my clients there. Like they wanted to make sure that I wasn't influencing essentially. So that was a big thing for me. Like I felt pretty harassed at my workplace. If my, my boss had my back and was like not giving them the time of day, but what if she didn't? So that happened. My siblings who are much younger than me are still in it and were told that I was slandering the church and slandering the leaders there. And which like you can get removed from fellowship for being a slanderer. It's like a big deal. <laughs> it's a very offensive thing to be called in that atmosphere. Things were really hard with my friends. I lost a lot of friends. There were a lot of weird conversations after I left and that's kind of its own little thing. But um, yeah, it's hard to leave and it just to be a clean break. And I remember trying to make it a clean break. I was trying to go peacefully and just quietly and like, I'm not quiet anymore, but at the time I was just like, I'm just trying to leave and like start a new life. And it's very hard to do that. Yeah, it is. And, and then somewhere along the way, you were able to decide on your career, right. And wondering 
at what point that happened, like if you were able to do that soon or if you needed time to heal before moving on, what was that like for you? I started counseling when I was in Xenos. I like went to obviously get my master's degree for it. And I remember like learning so much about like healthy relating in my, just like, I, I felt like being a counselor saved me in many ways from not doing more damage. Like I could have done a lot more damage, I think what being in Xenos, but like, I just learned the value of like privacy, <laughs> like basic things like that. And so after leaving though, I, I did leave that group practice, not because they did anything wrong, but I just, I didn't feel safe. And my boss's boss is in Xenos. So it, again, it's not like at all controlled by Xenos, but there's like a lot of, there's a handful of people there that can influence it. I just didn't feel safe. And so I left and went into private practice. And I remember my husband and I started watching documentaries about cults. I don't even know why. I don't even think it was intentional. Because ever, ever since high school, like we heard like Xenos is a cult. Like I, we would hear those rumors. And I remember being like, that's crazy. That's such a crazy word. We're not a cult. It's like this real sense of like, I, I live life with these people. They're so fun. They're so nice. I've met some really kind people. Like some really amazing things happened when I was there. So it was just very weird to be like, like that just sounds like a crazy thing to say about something. But I remember starting to watch documentaries, like a lot of documentaries and we watched and a, a number of things would like hit home with me. But specifically, I remember watching the vow documentary and being like, this feels so familiar to me. A lot of similar dynamics felt very familiar to me. And so we remember seeing Stephen Hassan being interviewed. I can't remember which documentary he was being interviewed in, but we were like, let's read some of Stephen Hassan's stuff. And we like got his um, combating cult mind control. And we were like, like the bite model blew our mind. We were just like, again, it was like, this is what we've been experiencing. And we didn't have any language for it. And we didn't, know how serious it was and we didn't know this is what a cult was and it, it was just so fascinating to me and I got really excited about like I want to use this I want to help people and so like I think it was two years after I left I started gearing my Instagram like specifically a little bit more about that and taking like a training that Stephen Hassan offers therapists and I was throughout this time have been seeing my own therapist who's cult informed and just like it's been super, super fun, super hard, but super fun. And like, I just feel really passionate about it. If we talk about cults, we talk about the C word, like what, you know, do we have to call something a cult? Do we not? Are we going to get kind of lost in the weeds if we're parsing out if it is, or if it isn't, it doesn't feel right, especially if the people do seem nice or if they have good intentions. But then when you start sort of seeing the definition of it, I think people can be less fearful of it and say, actually, yeah, it does have these traits. And this is probably why it left us with the following impacts. And that helps to explain some of the internal conflict or the fears or other sorts of things, the control, the manipulation. And yeah, and the people can be the like fellow members or fellow or other leaders, they can be really genuinely kind people, but it really is 
if the nature of the control is healthy or not. And so moving on to something that I mentioned at the beginning about looking for these subtle signs of control and the not so subtle ones. The not so subtle ones, I think people can detect because they're not so subtle, even though I think it still can be where people can be convinced that someone still cares about them, where they're still doing it for their benefit or whatever it is. And so I think people always want to take those justifications um, and look at them under a microscope a little before they just believe them. But I'm wondering about the very subtle signs of control, uh, because those are the ones that I think cause people to be left with a feeling, not knowing why, and they might be feeling down about themselves. They might not know why. They might be feeling worried about something. They might not know why. So what are some of the ways that people get kind of messages across of control, like a power play, basically, but in subtle ways? Yeah. So I think one thing that comes to mind, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, was insinuations about like wisdom, like what's going to be wise, what's going to be best, what's going to be, you know, and just kind of leading conversations in that way of ultimately like who knows really what's going to be best it's each individual person's job to figure out what's best for them and like you said making mistakes helps us figure that out sometimes and but I think just a lot of talk like that where it's like and then there's all this pressure to choose what's best and what's wise and what's not something I've learned and really like believe strongly in is that people pick up on more than we give them credit for. By no means I'm trying to say we should decide what people's intentions are. I think that in and of itself can be really unhealthy. But a lot of times you can kind of tell if someone has like an agenda with you or like has alternative intentions that they're not really telling you about. Again, when people say, I'm saying this because I love you or because I'm worried about you. And it's just... A manipulation. And so how do you know? How do you decipher? Is it based on past experience with this person? I mean, how how do you know it's not coming from a place of love, but it's just coming from a place of power or control? Right. I think so much of that has to do too with like teaching people how to like what is it like to listen to your gut, which is again something that I don't feel like I was encouraged ever to do. Um and and again. If your gut's wrong, that's okay. But I do believe in people's ability to pick up on those things and to kind of read between the lines. And I think looking at people's, like, history is really important. Like, I think about, in my experience with Xenos, I know that Xenos has a very messy history. Like, back in the 90s, they had, like, a huge mass exodus. Like, I think, like, half the church left. And it was because of control. It was because there were these same patterns going on and people were just picking up on that. Anything that I'm going to be involved in now, I'm going to look at its history and like its track record and what red flags that should show me. Knowing like what questions to ask people. We've been kind of figuring out church because I do consider myself still a Christian, but that's a very complicated thing right now. And Knowing like what's a healthy church and what questions to ask. One that I really appreciate is like, if if I have concerns about a leader here, what's your protocol for bringing that up? How is that dealt with? Am I going to have anonymity in that? Asking some of those questions up front. 
I think it's great. I think people actually do need to have that almost like a three by five card, something they could put in their wallet or on their phone, you know, like what questions to ask. But also I like the anonymity part because no, there's never anonymity in a cult. Everyone knows everyone's business. Uh, and that's part of the control, I'm sure, too. But yeah, how are things dealt with? Are they dealt with? Are they just hush-hushed? Or are they just kept in-house? Does it land back on you as being the problematic one if you bring something up, you know? Yeah. Do you believe in emotional abuse? Do you believe in spiritual abuse? If so, how do you define that? <laughs> like, If someone's being emotionally abused, how do you deal with their abuser? Like, I don't know. Wow, yeah. No, that's good. I remember seeing another creator post this and I really liked it. She talked about like, you know, we're taught to know a lot about like stranger danger and the danger of drugs and alcohol and all these things that like could, you know, potentially be harmful and how to interact with those things in a healthy way. But how often do you hear about high control groups and the like things that go on there? I never heard about that ever. And never knew that that was even a thing until I started watching documentaries and reading about it after I'd already experienced it. So I, so something that Xenos will say, again, to speak to the subtlety part of like, it's not all the time in your face to say like, well, we have a paper on like how you shouldn't control people. We've written a paper on that <laughs> or like caveats like, well, I'm not telling you what to do. But then if you do what they're encouraging you not to do, there's like some social repercussions. The vibe is different when you go to home church that night and you might get pulled into a corner to talk to a leader about it later. There's these social consequences that, you know, you experience, even though people are telling you, hey, it's your decision to make. It's also good now that you are developing these conceptualizations that you can put together to offer to other people. Because it does take some thinking and figuring it out as with anything, if you're going to teach it, if you're going to offer it to the public. It's sometimes a hard thing to do because it means going back into your own memories, into your own difficult moments, and into the times, I'm sure, with these kind of subtle bits of control, the times that you may have walked into a room thinking something and you left thinking something else. Or feeling a certain way about yourself and you left feeling a different way about yourself. What happened in the middle that can turn you out in a different way? I'm sure that happened a lot. Yeah, I think about like even sleep. Like oftentimes we were, we were told that to sacrifice sleep is like a godly sacrifice. And so you'd be staying up until sometimes like two, three in the morning, having these really deep, <laughs> meaningful conversations with people. Sometimes people you're close to, sometimes people you really don't know who they are. Oftentimes people wouldn't get their needed eight hours of sleep and it just totally impacts your functioning. Okay. So just, I guess as we're finishing up, I'm curious if there are any other messages that you have for us about sort of how to heal from these kinds of experiences, how to get back to really feeling like what you're doing is not wrong, but is just natural or is just in an effort to learn, to grow, like taking chances, doing things that someone's told you maybe not to do and seeing if you can do it and seeing if you can handle it well. What have you learned through your time of needing to kind of fall and get back up and realizing that you can kind of do that in, on your own terms and learn from it. And it doesn't mean something bad about you. So one thing that comes to mind is 
and I wish I had done this more right after leaving, but I, I remember hearing in like Hassan's training, he talks about like the importance sometimes of just taking like a year and not making any commitments to anything. Cause especially like I think about, again, I was given 30 hours of my week to this thing. Um, and now all of a sudden I don't have anything to fill that time with. It's very natural to want to fill it with more like commitments and obligations and, um, Having that time, though, is so helpful where you're not expected to do A, B, and C. Again, this was beginning of pandemic when we left, but we ended up like starting our a little Bible study with friends because we were like, we don't really trust churches right now. And all the churches are shut down anyways because of COVID. And we know our friends and we trust them. And so we just kind of did that. And it was really helpful. It's been a really cool experience. But then there was part of me, too, that looks back on that. And I'm like... I like right away was like teaching again and like leading and doing these things. And I, I should have just given myself some time to just not even go to church and not even commit to anything. If I, if that's not what I wanted or needed, I did like a spiritual abuse support group thing. And that's something they talked about is like, if church is triggering, don't go. Like if you're just going to be, if you're just going to be like panicking during the teaching and you know, like, hyperventilating or whatever else how is that helpful to you like you your body needs to know what safe feels like and what calm feels like so that it can make clear decisions rather than re-triggering it and traumatizing it all the time so I think just like giving yourself which I know is really easy to say harder to be in that mindset but like it's okay to need time and space it's actually better I think to have that and there's that um, concept of being like physically out, but mentally in. And so it's easy to kind of assume, well, if someone has also left this thing, then they're where I'm at mentally. And I'm like in this stage of like freedom in my life, but like, there's still people who are kind of mentally in that. I like, after I left, I know that I was in that space for a, a little bit. Like, you're mentally kind of like submitting to the same principles and ways of life because you're just so used to it. Really putting yourself around people who have been out and like are healthy out. And that's been super helpful. And just education, having language to talk about your experiences has been such a lifesaver for me. Thank you. And thank you for talking about your experiences and the transition out of it and of landing on your feet and what you've learned and how you transition through those moments. It's great that you had this, your husband, you could do this with it, which is really, really helpful. And if people don't have that for them to have somebody, just somebody they can be with, they can talk to, they can commiserate with, so they don't feel alone. And I'm glad that you've been able to avail yourself of different workshops and groups and other things, which is really nice. Again, don't have to suffer by yourself in this, you know, it's really important. It's a good message. Yeah. I've been really lucky to, like, I think about, you know, people who have either been excommunicated out by themselves or um, just left by themselves. And I'm like, I just, I don't know if I could have done that. That's incredibly painful. I had the luxury of leaving with my husband and like, two other friends of ours left at the same time. And it was like, it was so, so helpful. Yeah. Okay. It's a pleasure to talk to you and to 
have you share so much and also to to learn from you. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And where can people get in touch with you if they'd like to? So I have my Instagram. That's kind of the only social media I have for that. It's just Sarah Patch Counseling. And then my website is sarahpatchcounseling.com. Good, good. Good conversation. And hope to talk to you again. Really, really appreciate it. Sure. One more thing before you go. Thank you, Sarah, for talking to us today. I hope to be able to talk to you again. It was so interesting to hear you talk about being labeled rebellious and that somehow you were doing something wrong by having your own kind of spirit and wanting to do your own thing. There's so many times that people are just insulted for being independent thinkers within controlling environments. They are labeled something And when they have an independent streak, and it could be that they just sometimes have the need for some freedom, then they're told that they're doing something wrong, that they're being rebellious, which is you're fighting against the organization or you're fighting against God as opposed to you just being you. And so you can grow up really feeling like you're this bad kid, that you're a bad seed, that you really need to be under more control too in order to keep yourself safe because you can't be trusted. It's a terrible thing that people are labeled that, especially after devoting so many years and so much of their lives to an organization and sacrificing so much. Even when she was saying that you were supposed to sacrifice sleep, that that was seen as a godly endeavor to sacrifice sleep for this group. I mean, that's not a godly endeavor. Uh, That actually puts your body at risk and puts your mental health at risk and can make you have a much harder time managing your emotions. And if they had a hard time with your emotions before, thinking you were being difficult or rebellious, just imagine if you were difficult, rebellious, and underslept, and then more emotional. So they kind of create more of a problem by creating more emotions and behavioral shifts in the members by exhausting them, pushing them to the brink, One of the things that Sarah mentioned that I wanted just to get into briefly was this idea and concept that um, was created by some colleagues of mine and in particular is talked about within the community of people who left Jehovah's Witnesses. This idea of being spiritually and emotionally out, but physically in, or physically out, but still emotionally or spiritually in, There are different gradations of that. And most people who I work with are in one of these stages. And you can kind of shift the stages as you leave more fully from a controlling relationship or from a controlling organization. When people are in it, they will describe that they felt emotionally and also sometimes emotionally, sometimes spiritually, whatever the term is, but I'll say emotionally emotionally in and physically in. So they were believers and they were present. They were connected to the group or they were still living with them, but they had physical connection to the organization and also still that emotional connection. 
then what happens a lot of the time when people start to notice things that they're not so happy with or they start to have some questions, they shift. And while they're still physically in and still connected to the group and still showing up for meetings or still living with that controlling partner, they are starting to become more emotionally out. And most people I work with are in that stage for quite some time where they're not believers so much anymore. They are really not necessarily understanding why they need to be there anymore. It's not working for them. It's not keeping them happy. The promises that they were made are just not coming true. And so they're kind of done, but they still are too afraid of leaving. They're afraid of making a mistake by fully leaving or that there was some kind of punishment for fully leaving, or they're playing along still to seem like they're still connected. So they're just physically in, but emotionally and spiritually out. And then you have the people who are physically out, but still to a certain degree emotionally or spiritually in. That also exists for a while. After people have left a certain relationship that it was controlling, they still might think for a long time that they did something wrong by leaving or they're worried that that person was devastated by them leaving. Usually that person has already moved on to someone else and you don't have to be afraid for them. Or that somehow the the programming is still under their skin. So they still have the same fears that they were given in the group about being punished for leaving, or they still think badly about themselves because they were given those messages, even though they're, they're already physically out. And then you have the people who really feel very free because now they are physically out and emotionally out. Even if there are some kind of, still some things, some messages that are embedded in their psyche for a little while, but still by and large, they're physically out and emotionally out. Those are the ones who are doing very well, are feeling a sense of relief, are really giving their life a chance to be able to be started anew. And so I wanted to be able to describe that, that getting better from these things sometimes happens in stages and getting past experiences sometimes happens in stages. Thank you to Sarah for coming on, for talking about your experiences, for giving us a sense about what it's like to be so devoted to an organization and still be left feeling like you're being judged for not having done enough and not being good enough or being holy enough. And I'm so glad that you're free from that and that you now have a chance to have a good, happy, satisfied life. Take good care. Talk to you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Please support Indoctrination on Patreon at patreon.com slash indoctrination. Be sure to give us a follow on our social media. Find us on Facebook and Instagram using at indoctrination podcast. And for Twitter, find us at at underscore indoctrination. We love hearing from you too. So send us an email at indoctrinationshow at gmail.com. And for more updates on the show, visit our website, at www.podpage.com forward slash indoctrination.